The Claims Clinic Podcast is brought to you by Twin Ravens Audio, providing audio editing, recording, and restoration for all your podcasting needs. Visit our website at www.twinravensaudio.com for more information. Welcome to The Claim Clinic. Have a seat here and tell me what brings you in today. Is your adjuster acting up again? Oh, it sounds like you might have some serious brain depression. Don't worry, the doctor will see you now. Thank you, Nurse Natalie. And thank you for coming to the Claim Clinic. This is Andy McCabe. I am the Claim Doctor. I'm glad you stopped by. I'm hoping to throw down some great information for you today. But first, I'd like to talk about a Google Hangout I'm going to start here in two weeks. I'd like to start hanging out with you folks, members of the Claim Clinic, and answer your questions live and see if I can't reach out to you all and, and solve some of your problems so we can help each other out. What do you think about that? If you like the idea of that, go get signed up at the claim.clinic. Give us your email address and we'll put you on the list. Or you can send me a tweet at the claim doctor and say, hey, sign me up. I want to hang out. Well, let's get right to it. This week I had Matt Ballou sitting down with me and talking about dry ice blasting, a technology that's been a while, around a while and uh, just now coming into its own in the restoration industry. Let me know what you think. As always, leave some comments for me, some feedback, and I hope you enjoy the show. All right. Hey, welcome to the Claim Clinic. This is Andy McCabe. I have the pleasure of sitting with Mr. Matt Ballou of Pure Space and Portland Blasting. How are you doing today, Matt? Doing pretty good, Andy. How are you doing, man? Great to be here back in Portland. I was in Ohio all week, and uh, it's amazing how green it is here. It's nice. Yeah, uh, the rain will do that. Yeah, yes, it will. Uh, so, full disclosure, before we get going on this particular episode, uh, Matt and I have been uh, friends for a while, and we're also I'm also a client of his, uh, and I believe uh, deeply in his technologies of, of cleaning and doing mold. But first, before we get going on that, why don't you tell us a little bit how you got started in the industry and a little bit about your business? Yeah, sure thing. Uh, I was actually hired on by the corporate office located in Scottsdale for global prevention and pure space. Uh, I worked there for about a year doing everything from you know operations to field work. Uh, got quite a lot of exposure to Mike Himmelfarb, who's the owner, uh, who has a wealth of knowledge in the mold industry, uh, which not a lot of guys do. It's kind of a kind of a young and emerging industry. Uh, and then uh, you know, kind of one thing led to another, gave me the opportunity to. Uh, come up to Portland and start my own uh, GPS and Pure Space office, and I've been doing that ever since. Perfect. So, how long is that? How long have you been in Portland? Uh, we've been here since uh, 2010, so we're going into our fifth year. Okay, rocking and rolling. And I have known you for three years now. Yep, I think that's right. And I write some of your exacting made estimates. All of them. All of them. <laughs> Thank you for that. Absolutely. Uh, I want to talk about technology. We've uh, our industry has changed a lot, even Certainly. since I've been in it. Uh, yep. It's changed even since you've been in it. And as new technologies come along, some of them take off and some fizzle out. Sure, I would uh, I would argue that the hydroxyl machines are technology that didn't quite fulfill the promises that we're going to fulfill. Sure, 
but you also do dry ice blasting. That's right. And that has been a technology that we've been aware of in our industry for going on 20 years. And I think, I believe now it's currently coming into the fold. Well, I really hope so. Dry ice has actually been around since the late 50s. Uh, and it just is one of those technologies that I just don't think that people really knew what to do with. I don't think that we really understood the breadth of applications and the effectiveness that it could be, uh, you know, the, the depth uh, of effectiveness that it could be utilized to. But, you know, ultimately in the last uh, three to five years, we've really seen uh, in this area anyway. I know back east, it's a little bit more prominent in California. Mm-hmm. And now we're starting to see the Northwest start to really embrace the technology. What do you use dry ice blasting for? Uh, tons of stuff. Uh, the reason why we got it is because uh, I was walking away from a job one summer day. It was about 100 degrees, and I had uh, six or seven guys in an attic. It was probably 140 degrees in the attic. This there, is in Phoenix. Uh, no, no, this was here in Portland. It oh, was man. unseasonably warm. And, uh, you know, I, I, I was having my guys come down every 15 or 20 minutes uh, just to hydrate and make sure that we didn't end up with someone with heat stroke. Um, and I, I found myself walking away from that job saying there has got to be a better way to do this. Oh, so you were sanding by hand. Yeah, that's right. That's oh, right. We man. were doing a uh, traditional method of mold remediation. Of mold remediation. And I just said, you know, this is, this is crazy. We've got to come up with a better way. And so in doing some research, uh, I found a better way and that is dry ice. So, mm-hmm. you know, ultimately what we like to use dry ice for initially was mold uh, and there's just no better way to remove mold from a substrate uh, than with dry ice. It's cleaner. It's faster. Uh, the staining is significantly reduced or eliminated. And that's got a number of inherent advantages. In addition to in an attic in the summertime uh, with proper ventilation and supplied air. So we make sure that our guys are safe. Of course, uh, it provides its own air conditioning. So we actually cool the attic down to a level that is uh, at least tolerable yeah. Uh, in the summer months. In the winter, it actually goes the other way, and my guys actually have to wear extra layers because at 109 degrees below zero, <laughs> it gets pretty chilly pretty quick. I would imagine. Uh, what is the alternative to dry ice? I'm, I'm, I'm assuming it's soda blasting or media blasting of some kind. Yeah, if you're going to be blasting uh, mold or soot, fire damage, smoke damage, and you're not going to be dry ice blasting, uh, then you're going to be using soda. Okay, and we and what about fire jobs? Let's let's go beyond mold. I think a lot of people in the audience are going to understand the inherent advantages of dry ice blasting when it comes to mold remediation, sure. as far as destroying the spore and and in its roots and everything else, and and being very effective in that. Uh, I think a lot of people don't realize the effectiveness it can have on fire damage. So, talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, that was kind of what we evolved into when we first started doing it. It was pretty much only mold. And then I started getting these phone calls saying, hey, can you come out and uh, dry ice blast my smoke damaged brick or the substructure uh, that is heavily smoke damaged, uh, lots of soot buildup, so on and so forth. I really, at the beginning, didn't know anything about it, but really nobody else did either. So I kind of had that uh, advantage built in. Um, so we just started doing it. We just started, uh, going out there, trying to earn some work, trying to, um, learn what we were doing, uh, on the fly and, uh, you know, got it dialed pretty quickly, uh, to where we were, uh, incredibly effective, 
at removing soot and smoke, not only uh, to the level that we could do it as opposed to dry sponging and, you know, traditional methods, uh, but also the speed with which we could get these jobs done. I mean, we were finishing jobs that would take a crew of six or eight people, six or eight weeks. We were finishing that job in five days. So the time savings was just uh, undeniable. Yeah, let's stay on the on the savings vein. Okay, so sure. there's there's the ability to reduce ALE, and when we're talking about insurance and fire jammers, that's that's a big key component of. Hey, I have I've got a method that will save you two weeks worth of ALE. Is that something that's valuable to you? And I think adjusters pick up on that right away. Yeah, your forward thinking adjuster certainly. Although you know, sure. there's those adjusters that are only going to look at the bottom line and say, "I've got hand cleaning for seventy one cents and dry ice blasting for two eighty eight, and you know, they give you lots of pushback. So that is out there. Sure. Yeah. And uh, yeah, don't get me started on <laughs> on that side of the thing. Uh, let's talk about pricing, though. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of guys out there, and I know you bid jobs. Uh, you have other contractors ask you to come in and bid jobs, and they say, hey, I want you to bid soda blasting because that's the technology that seems to be, like you just said, accepted, air quotes in there, uh, by the adjusters out there because dry ice is still this thing that's an unknown thing. I'm looking at Xactimate right now. So inside Xactimate, uh, for all you folks following along at home, CLNSBS, that's soda blasting. That's a buck eighty-five a square foot, and CLNSBI dry ice blasting is two eighty-eight a square foot. Now, on the surface, people are, some people are going to say that's a dollar a square foot. Now, if I've got a house, an entire attic that that the smoke got up in there and and maybe a little bit of char, but it didn't damage the structure. So far, we had to replace it. Just on the surface, there. I'm going to say soda blasting is the way to go. It, it's a no-brainer. So I know we've had this discussion, but why don't you walk us through why that is not such a no-brainer? Sure. You know, soda blasting, I'm not going to tell you that's not an effective method, and it does have its place. It's a tool in the quiver just like any other. <clears throat> what I would say, though, is with soda, you have a byproduct. Not only do you have the soot that you've knocked off, but now you have the soda that it took to knock it off, and that all has to be cleaned up. You mean the soda just doesn't go away? No, unfortunately, it doesn't disappear. Uh, Uh, Although with dry ice, that's exactly what happens. The dry ice uh, sublimates, uh, think of it like evaporation, and it basically evaporates into thin air. So with soda, uh, not only do you have to clean up the soot that you've knocked off, just like we do with dry ice, but you also have to clean up and dispose of all the soda to the tune of between 100 and 150 pounds an hour Mm. of actual blasting. So in a 1,500-square-foot house... I mean, you're probably looking at, I mean, close to a ton of soda that you have to clean up. That's a lot of cleanup. Tons and tons. We did some quick math before we hit record on our computers here, and we figured you can move pretty much uh, as fast with soda blasting as dry ice. Uh, there's there's debates there. But if you can cover 250 feet, square feet an hour with either technology, you're going to generate about 150 pounds of soda per hour. And in order to clean that up, you've got to vacuum up the bulk of it, but then you've got to wipe down horizontal surfaces and vertical surfaces just from the dust. And we figured just now, and and 
if you disagree with this, feel free to make it known that, that you don't think it's going to take this long. But we figure it's going to take two hours of cleaning. And that is a CLNLAB. And uh, the local Portland rate is $69, no, $34.51 an hour. So that's a total of 69 bucks of cleaning for every hour of uh, soda blasting. That's going to work out to about $3.50 a foot. So you add the $3.50 a foot to the buck eighty-five for the soda blasting itself. All of a sudden, we're looking at $5.42 a foot. That's a different equation. Yeah, I mean, obviously that makes us competitive. And what I've been saying from the beginning to anyone who would listen is that we pay for ourselves. Not only do we pay for ourselves when it comes to ALEs or especially business interruption insurance, which typically is a lot higher than ALEs, yep. uh, we pay for ourselves as compared to other technologies, either by uh, hand cleaning that's going to take however long it's going to take, how many mm-hmm. sponges, how much chemical, so on and so forth, uh, but also in uh, in comparison to soda blasting, we pay for ourselves because there virtually is no cleanup. We're going to spend probably 10 to 15 minutes of cleaning per hour or hour and a half of blasting simply because most of what we blast gets uh, recycled or sucked up into my negative air machines or air scrubbers. And what doesn't uh, requires just a, a simple HEPAVAC, uh, which can usually be done pretty quickly. Well, I think most people are going to do some sort of modest cleanup, no matter what they do. Typically, that's involved in just about any fire job, yes. Sure. Well, let's let's try to be very fair here. What are the downsides? What are the potential downsides to using dry ice? Sure. Uh, with dry ice, there's actually an inherent danger. Uh, if you aren't properly ventilated, uh, it poses an asphyxiation risk. And that's frozen CO2. That's right. And uh, CO2 is heavier than air. It displaces air. And so if you do a lot of blasting in a very confined space without a lot of cross ventilation or without supplied air respiration, uh, you run the risk of having your guys have some symptoms up to and including death. So mm-hmm. it's one of those things that you don't have this problem with with soda. Uh, you might mess up somebody's uh, drywall or something like that with soda. That's the danger there. But, you know, with dry ice, I mean, there really is uh, a danger that has to be uh, that can't be ignored. So well, I think there's still uh, there's a there's a danger of suffocation if you have a fog of soda sure. in a confined space, too. Right. Sure. I suppose that's true. I don't think we've ever really run into that yet. Sure. Uh, we don't do a lot of soda blasting, though, uh, admittedly. Right. Um, but, you know, what I would say is that it's one of those things that in any job, no matter how small or how big or how quote unquote easy it seems, it's just one of those things that I'm always talking to my guys about that my guys are keenly aware of. We need to make sure that we have plenty of ventilation, plenty of fresh air coming in. And we usually take the additional step of supplied air respiration. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. The equipment's a little bit expensive, but it gives me the peace of mind you know, that I'm not going to be headed to the hospital because one of my guys, you know, uh, breathed in quite a lot of CO2 and is having some side effects. And that's sure. just, I mean, you can't pay for that kind of peace of mind. Right. Yeah. And I've, I've got another note here I forgot to mention. With soda or any kind of media blasting, you got to put up some containment. Yeah. And we do uh, put up some containment with dry ice as well, but not nearly to the degree that you have to with soda. Also yes. with soda blasting, you're going to have... <clears throat> um, an additional cost of uh, filters 
because you're going to want to set up negative air pressure if at all possible to keep the soda and the soot in as you're blasting it. Uh, And so the, you know, typically those filters are going to be replaced every hour. Uh, You can dial your soda back a little bit to prolong those filters, but again, you're going to have slower uh, production time. That's right. So, you know, there's certainly a cost involved. So on 250 feet an hour, you're down to 100 feet an hour. That's right. And we're, like we're typically going to go through one set of filters per day per 10 to 12 hours of blasting with dry ice because yeah. we just have uh, 95% less material particulates floating around in the air with which to be sucked up by the, the scrubbers. How tough is the logistics? I know you've got to get... Ice. Ice doesn't last forever. It, sure. it evaporates. Like you said, it sublimates really 10% quick. a day. That's right. 10% a day. And then my understanding is uh, the pellets, you get it pelletized, mm-hmm. the little tiny pellets, those actually go bad and become more solid and unusable the longer they they go, right? That's right. Uh, yeah, that's probably the other um, kind of disadvantage or uh, barrier to entry that I would say that people really need to think about before they decide to pull the trigger on getting into the driest blasting game. Simply it's a be- technique thing. There's tons of technique. Um, and there's a lots of things to to think about and to worry about. And you, it's one of those things that you don't know that you don't know it until mm-hmm. you come across it. So, you know, if you're blasting in a high humidity environment, uh, you need to make sure that not only do you have instrument quality air, but you also have to have additional water separators because water is the enemy of dry mm. ice. Water yeah. that gets into your dry ice has then ruined a 500 or 1,000 pound bin and make it made it unusable, ah. uh, certainly adding to your cost and frustration. Sure. Uh, dry ice is not available on demand unless you somehow are lucky enough to live right next to the dry ice factory. Uh, you know, typically we have to order dry ice 48 hours in advance at least. And you might be thinking, oh, well, that's no big deal. I Most of your projects should be planned out in advance of that, which I suppose is true, but it's not uncommon for me it to is, get a It phone. is not uncommon for people to say, uh, call me yeah. up and say, can you come out tomorrow to do this job? Uh, sometimes we can do that. Sometimes we can't. Uh, in addition to uh, those logistical concerns, uh can you have the dry ice delivered to the site? Do you have to have it picked up in your truck? If it is picked up in your truck, can you park your truck close enough uh, to where the equipment's going to be that you don't have to ferry the ice over mm. long distances? These things seem trivial, but when you have a guy ferrying two buckets of ice back and forth over, let's say, a quarter of a mile, because that's the closest parking, and that's happened to us before, sure. that cost adds up. Yeah, uh, it, it slows your production and... Uh, you know, certainly makes the job much more difficult. We just finished a job that was 11 stories uh, up, a, a blasting job that was 11 stories. So we had to figure out how we get our equipment up to the blasting area, how we get the air hoses back down, connected to the equipment, and uh, ultimately connected to our air source. Uh, you can't just use any um, any compressor. Sure. You need at least 185 CFM. We like right. to run 375. Again, CFM or PSI? Uh, CFM. Okay. So the PSI you're going to run for any blasting job is going to be 70 on the light end up to 120, 140, depending okay. on what it is you're trying to blast and off of what. Uh, but, you know, CFM is ultimately what allows the smoothness of the delivery of the pellets. So if you have a really choppy delivery, that means you don't really have enough air. Uh, they're hitting the substrate. They're hitting the surface you're trying to blast hard enough to do the job. 
but if you don't have the volume of air, uh, you know, a 375 or something of that nature, um, you're just you're going to be uh, significantly reduced in your production time because you don't have this smooth delivery of ice that you want, kind of similar to pressure washing. It's going to be a lot more yeah. choppy. So what I'm hearing is a guy can't just go buy a setup and start doing this tomorrow. There, no. It's not a magic wand. It, there is a skill and a, and a technique. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, another thing that we find with our new blasters and what you know, new people to the industry are going to find out is it's very easy with dry ice simply to move what it is that you're trying to blast from one surface to the other. Um, and there really is a technique with being able to go top down, left to right, or right to left, whatever makes sense for the application. Like cleaning. That's right. It's like dusting. You're trying to move everything one level down, one level down, one level down, until ultimately it gets to the floor or onto some plastic or something that can be rolled up or cleaned uh, much more easily. Perfect. Uh, if people have questions, we're running a little bit over time. If people have questions about the techniques or want to get a hold of you, what's the best way to do that? Sure. Yeah, I'm always available for questions or to talk shop. Um, they can either uh, email me, which is M like Matt, B like Bravo at nomold.com, or they can get a hold of me directly at 503-719-6859. And uh, I'm always happy and available to, uh, to talk shop. Perfect. And we'll put those, make sure those links get put in the show notes. Give me, before we go, a good piece of advice for a restoration guy. You've been doing it long enough to learn some hard lessons, the painful ways. So sure. let's uh, write a prescription to the folks out there. All right. And, uh, and, and give them something to take away that so maybe they don't have to make the same mistakes. Sure. Absolutely. I would say uh, the best piece of advice I can give, especially if someone's going to get into a niche uh, restoration service like dry ice, but even just on a normal uh, dry out with a couple of DUs and six fans and so on and so forth. I would say the best advice I could give people starting out is make sure that your estimates are tight. Make sure that you're estimating the right way. If you're going to be blasting a thousand square feet, don't put in your estimate that you're going to be blasting 1200 square feet. That just gives uh, the adjuster room to pick apart your bid and inherently not trust you from the beginning. So I would say make sure that when you write a scope, that it really is exactly what it is that you're going to be doing. But the other side of that coin, I would say, is, is when the adjuster gives you pushback on an estimate that you've written that you know is tight, make sure you stick to your guns. Uh, we get pushed around in this industry by the adjuster to the extent that, they, that we allow it. Mm-hmm. And so I would say make sure that if you are doing things the right way and you are honest, that you stick to your guns and, and you stand up for yourself because ultimately you should get paid to do the job the entire job that you do, not some portion of it. That's great advice. I had Josh Soloway of Soil Away Restoration on the show two episodes back, and he he said the same thing. Don't put red flags in your estimate. Yep. Don't don't put fluff in there. And the old the old school way of hey, we've got to give them something to take away so they yep. feel like they're doing their job. That is that is an antiquated yep. way to think. Yeah, that doesn't and work anymore. That's dangerous. It'll just put you get you in trouble. So. Matt, I appreciate your time. I appreciate you ha- getting me in today. And, uh, and uh, yeah, well, we're obviously going to be in touch. But uh, yes, sir. Uh, I want to let the audience know that Matt is absolutely there to answer any questions. And that's why we're all here doing this is so we can all get better, so we can all share knowledge. I appreciate the time. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Take care. Thanks again for coming to the Claim Clinic. 
This week's episode was brought to you by the 24-Hour Tech. If you want to increase your water damage profits, systemize your mitigation process, and decrease the time it takes to train a new water damage technician to just one day, you owe it to yourself to pick up a copy of the 24-Hour Tech. This manual, through 20 steps, will walk you through the processes of making more money and reducing your training time drastically. You can find it at the24hourtech.com. That's the24hourtech.com. See you next week.